Well, I guess we're getting fancy now. I have a microphone to talk into, um, which means I can only I can only walk so far now. I'm I'm tethered. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are in fact sovereign over all things. There's so much going on today that uh, we need to remember that. Thank you that we can rest in that, that we can trust you. Thank you for the things that are recorded in your word that we're going to look at today, that uh, we can trust you. People have been able to trust you in times past, even when they're being told that something's going to happen that's never happened in the history of the world before. And yet it came to pass exactly as you said. And so help us today as we as we ponder these things, that we would be as Mary, that we would treasure these things and as we ponder them, that we treasure them in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I'll tell this, I'll say this publicly, and I've already said it privately. I'm so grateful to Alan that uh, he was able to cover the first couple of weeks here in this study. Um, I was blessed as I was listening to the recordings and, and going over his notes. Uh, and, and just to carry on in things that he was talking about as he was starting this book. What is the main purpose of this book? What was Luke trying to accomplish? Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what was he trying to accomplish with this book? A clear history of what happened while Jesus was among them. A clear history of what had happened when Jesus was among them. What is it that he says to Theophilus? What is he wanting to accomplish for Theophilus? He wants Theophilus to be what? To understand things accurately I'm looking for two words with certainty so Luke is is basically acting as a a plaintiff's attorney or a prosecutor he's building a case and he is going through now remember you know in the first century there was no such thing as forensic evidence right so how would you build a case under those circumstances where you can't do it necessarily with physical evidence. You can't do it with DNA. You can't do it with fingerprints. How would you accomplish that task? What would you be looking for? Who would you be looking for? You want eyewitnesses. People who perceived things with their senses. I saw this. I heard this. I tasted this. I smelled this. Uh, all of the, I touched this. Many of those are the things that these eyewitnesses are there to accomplish. And one of the things that happens with Luke, notice that many of his witnesses have names. These are people. So for instance, um, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, how does Luke know about them? 
Who has he talked to? Think about that for a minute. Pardon me? Mary. Mary. I'll bet you he talked to Mary. Where else would you get the content of the conversation between Mary and Elizabeth? Where else would you get the content of Zechariah? And so, as you look at the... And there's other things again. Remember, we're going to run into a phrase in Luke that's unique to Luke, right? Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. So, he's talking to people. He's talking to her or someone who knew her very, very well in order to get the conversations, in order to get those little pieces of insider information. Um, oftentimes you can tell somebody who has actually personally witnessed an event. They'll be able to come up with details that who else would know? And we see that fairly, we see that regularly. And so keep in mind too, Luke is a Gentile. And he's writing to a Gentile, almost certainly. Now how, how might we know that? There's something, again, that is a little unique to Luke in amongst the Gospel writers. You'll see added detail so that somebody who was not a Jew would have some ideas to the significance of what's going on. So, for instance, we're going to run into that um, this morning when he talks about um, that Mary lived in Nazareth which was a little town where? In Galilee. A Jew would know that. Gentile wouldn't. It's just like if you are talking to somebody and you've never met them before and you were to tell them, okay, yeah, I live in Auburn. Auburn where? There's an Auburn, Washington. There's an Auburn, California. And I'll bet you there's, there's an Auburn, Alabama. So you would have to have additional information for somebody in order to be able to, 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 to narrow that down further, right? So Luke's a Gentile. He's fine eyewitnesses. And again, one of the things that we need to be mindful of, why has Luke recorded specifically the things that he has? Now, is Luke exhaustive about Christ and what Christ did in his earthly ministry? or his upbringing, or any of those things? Is Luke exhaustive? No. He's selective. So, why did he select the things that he did? Because he's trying to do what? Summarize. Okay, summarize. He's including those things that are important to him to register so that Theophilus and ultimately you and I would be able to know with certainty. And so why are these things connected? What's God up to? Why does God want us to be aware of this particular event? Now there's something else that comes up in Luke very regularly. There's a, there's a, there's a phrase that again is somewhat unique to Luke. We've already encountered it. 
when it comes to Zechariah. We're going to run into it a couple of times today. It's the same phrase that comes up in the book of Acts. And it's talking about someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke mentions this a lot in his writing. And it's going to be interesting. And I want you, and again, when you see that phrase show up in the text, I want you to pay attention to what that person does. Remember that in the Old Testament, how often was it that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? How often did that happen? Rarely, Rarely right? And when you read in the Old Testament, and you read specifically that somebody was being filled with the Spirit, what was the predominant characteristic about that individual while that was true? They did something else that was remarkable. They prophesied predominantly, right? There's one other... uh, So, for instance, there was one fellow who you wouldn't think of as a prophet because there's nothing written... That the, about anything that this guy said. Somebody who was filled with the Spirit was Bezalel. Now, who was Bezalel? I know some of you know. I know some of you know. He was a craftsman that built the tabernacle parts. That's right. I think he was related to Dan. Okay, so here you have... <laughs> Not the tribe of Dan, our Dan. <laughs> okay, so here was a guy. You, you, here, um, God is very specific with Moses, right? I want you to build the things here for the tabernacle, and you are to build them according to the pattern that you received on the mountain. God showed him what he wanted, and he takes this man, Bezalel, and who's a, who's a craftsman, and this guy, he's able to weave, he's able to... to to, uh, I don't know how he did it, if it was uh, cross-stitch or needlepoint or whatever, but he's making the clothing and he's crafting the, the Ark of the Covenant and he's making all of these different things. Never do you see anything. He, I don't think there's a single word that he's ever recorded saying. But God gave him. He was a different man. Samuel said to Saul, that the Spirit of God is going to come on you and you're going to prophesy and you are going to be a what? A changed man. As we look at people here in Luke who are being filled with the Spirit, watch what they say. Watch what they do. Because if you want to have an example of what it is to be filled with the Spirit, what's another word that you could use to instead of filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Controlled by, dominated by. Here's a person who is controlled by the Spirit of God, and people who are controlled by the Spirit of God act in certain characteristic fashions. And we're going to get examples of that. So, let's get to our text. Now, normally we would just read it and go through, but there's another characteristic of Luke that we're going to run into. Luke has long, chapters. So, we got a lot of ground to cover and so we'll we'll read and we'll and we'll and we'll go as we go. So, Luke chapter 1 
Verse 26. Now we've gone through. Um, Gabriel, the angel, has appeared to Zechariah and told him, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife's going to be pregnant. She's going to get pregnant, even though she's past the time of life for doing that. Now, did Zechariah take Gabriel at his word? No, he didn't. He wanted some proof. Right. And so Gabriel said, well, I'm going to give you some proof. You're going to be mute. Now, Alan talked about this a little bit last week. That idea of being mute, the word that's used, it can be used for being mute. It can be used for being deaf. It's translated both ways in the New Testament. And so could it be that he was both? Yeah, it could. Otherwise, um, later on, when they're uh, making pictures to him, it could be sometimes when somebody can't talk, you assume they can't hear too. But uh, chances are he was probably both deaf and mute because of unbelief, because he didn't just take Gabriel at his word. And ultimately, he's not taking Gabriel at his word, he's not taking God at his word, because God is the one who had sent Gabriel with that message to him, right? So, round two. Now in the sixth month, sixth month of what? Say it louder. That's right, we're talking about Elizabeth's pregnancy. So she's six months along now, and when she's six months, Gabriel gets another mission. He was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There's a lot of information in there. Luke is very good at conveying a lot of information with an economy of words. So for instance, we know who the angel is because he's named. He's sent from God. So Gabriel's not going on his own. He's got a message from God that he is going to deliver to a specific person, a virgin named Mary. Now, this word virgin means just that. She is a virgin. She hasn't had sexual relations with a man. And so now, and she is betrothed. We've talked about this a little bit um, in the past. The idea of betrothal in the Jewish culture is different than our engagement. When you became betrothed, you were married. You just hadn't consummated the marriage yet. In fact, if you wanted to dissolve that betrothal, you had to get divorced. So as far as the culture is concerned, you're married, you just haven't yet come together. Chances are Mary is a teenager. She's probably very young. And this is that period of time where the contract is signed, the contract has been made, it just hasn't been yet consummated. So in this period of time, she's got a fiancé, her betrothed is Joseph. Joseph is from the descendants of David. Later we're going to find that Mary is a descendant of David. So how is it that Mary is related to Elizabeth? Because Elizabeth and Zechariah are from what tribe? 
They're from Levi because they are of the lineage of Aaron. Zechariah is a priest. So he's from Aaron. So how is it then that you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth from Aaron and you've got Mary from Judah? How are they related? We're told they're related. They're kin. We're not told how. You know, so how is it? How would they be related? Are, re, are they related through the fathers? No. So who would they need to be related through? They're related through moms somehow. And so here you have, again, all this detail is contained in here. And Mary lives in Nazareth. Now, what's Nazareth? In fact, where else do you read about Nazareth? Virtually nowhere. This place is not meant, Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in Josephus. Nazareth is not on a major road, major highway. It's not on a trade route. It is a backwater town. It's Nowheresville. It's the Smartville of the New Testament. I mean, in fact, how many people in here know where Smartville is? Highway 20, right? Between Marysville and Grass Valley. and Penn Valley. Yeah. Again, not a lot of people hang out in Smartville. Not a lot of people even know Smartville is there. Welcome to Nazareth. In fact, it doesn't have a very good reputation. Because when Nathaniel is approached, hey, we think we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. What good comes out of Nazareth? So again... This, this is backwater, you know, backwater town. And it's in Galilee. And again, what's another thing? What's something else to be known about Galilee if you're a Jew? What was the rest of Galilee's name? Galilee of the Gentiles. So again, if you're a good Jewish boy or a good Jewish girl, do you hang out with Gentiles? No, you do not. And so here you have Galilee of the Gentiles, and it is Nowheresville in Galilee. So these people are not the cultural or social elite by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we're going to run into something here. Uh, When Jesus is born later in this book, uh, Joseph and Mary are going to take an offering to the temple. And that offering is going to be a couple of turtle doves. Now, who was able to legitimately, according to the law, offer an offering of a couple of turtle doves for a firstborn son? The poorest of the poor. So again, Jesus isn't going to be born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Mom and dad are in poverty. So, backwater town... You know, when you start talking about impediments and, and just social barriers, you're just stacking them up. 
It's like building up a thing of Legos. They just keep going higher and higher and higher. So, Gabriel comes in and he comes in. So he goes to Mary's house. Comes in. And he said to her, Greetings, favored one. Now, greetings sounds kind of formal, doesn't it? In Greek, it's like saying hello. In fact, somebody was saying that if Martin Luther had translated this into German, it would have been something along the lines of, Hello, Mary dear. Which sounds kind of weird because I just don't picture that in German. I mean, it's such a harsh language. But it, it's, it wouldn't sound like that if you said it in German. It wouldn't sound like that, but the idea, though, is that, Hello, Mary dear. It's, it's a very common, it's a very congenial greeting here. Greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Well, she's going to find out. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, can you imagine being a teenager in Podunk, Judah, and here comes an angel. How often would you expect to see an angel in Nazareth? Why there? If you were going to see an angel, where would you expect to see one? How about in Jerusalem where Zechariah had been at the temple? See, now that one you could expect, right? Not Nazareth. So what, what in the world's going on here? You found favor with God, Mary, and behold, another one of Luke's favorite words, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So who is the angel talking about? Who is that? Well, how many candidates are there for who that person is? There's one. Now, we would know him as Jesus. That's what they're going to name him. In, 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 in Hebrew, it would be Joshua, right? Jesus, God, God saves. When she hears this, what term is coming to her mind? Messiah, the promised one. I'm going to be his mom. Now we, and this is, I think sometimes it's the danger of having texts that are so common. We're used to hearing this, right? We hear this every year at Christmas. Someone's going to read Luke 1. And someone's going to read Luke 2. Right? And so we hear it, and we forget how incredible this is. And again, if you're a Jew... What are you used to as a Jew in this day and age? 
at Mary's in Mary's time. What are you used to as a Jew? Oppression. Oppression. You're used to being under somebody's thumb. And you've been under somebody's thumb for hundreds of years. When's the last time Judah had a king? A Jewish king. When's the last time? Who was the last Judean king? Da, 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 da. Who's the last Jewish king? All right. Okay. Oh, now, wait a second now. Ladies, you just got done. You're, clo- you're getting closer. Who took <laughs> all those Jeho guys? Who became king after Jehoiachin was deposed and taken to Babylon? Nope, that was his dad. That was Jehoiachin's dad. Was Zedekiah actually king? Okay, he was made king, and that's why with Zedekiah, it depends on who you talk to. Ezekiel felt that Zedekiah was a placeholder. And he always thought of Jehoiachin as the last king. Zedekiah was Jehoiachin's uncle. And so he had been put on the throne, and technically he's going to be the last of the kings. So when did Zedekiah get taken into captivity? Five eighty six, exactly. Five eighty six BC. That's the that's when the Babylonians came in and they leveled the temple and they largely destroyed Jerusalem. Five eighty six. Jesus is born in four BC. So for five hundred and eighty two years, there has been no Jewish king. When the Jews came back from the uh, Babylonian exile, when a, when a number of them came back and returned and they rebuilt the temple. They had relatives of David. They had descendants of David. They had royalty there. When you read in Haggai and Zechariah about a man named Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was royalty. He was the grandson of Jehoiachin. Yet he never became king. So there hadn't been a Jewish king for almost 600 years. Now, they've been ruled by the Persians. They've been ruled by the Greeks. And now who are they ruled by in Jesus' day? They're, they're ruled by Rome. And so they're used to oppression. And so here you have Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, you're going to bear the Messiah. Now, Mary is not ignorant to the facts of life. Now, notice the difference And notice how Gabriel deals with Mary compared to how he dealt with Zechariah. So, Mary, you're going to bear the Messiah. And again, all of this is messianic language, right? You're going to conceive in your womb. Okay, that's not necessarily terribly unusual. You're going to bear a son. You're going to name him Jesus. All right, we can get along with all that. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, stop right there. Who's ever been referred to, humanly speaking, as the Son of the Most High? 
the son of El Elyon. No one. That is a divine title. So your son's going to be divine, Mary. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now what's that referring to? The Davidic covenant, exactly. The Davidic covenant. God had made a covenant with David, right? A unilateral, a one-sided covenant. That was God saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. You're going to have a son and he's going to sit on your throne and he's going to sit on your throne forever. He's going to have an eternal reign. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So you can go back into the Old Testament and you, you can go back to Samuel to get the Davidic covenant. You can go to Daniel where it talks about a kingdom that is forever lasting. There's all kinds of different th- threads that you can start to pull on. So all these threads that are back in the Old Testament, if when you start pulling on them, here's where they lead. is right here. And so... She hears this, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, when God sent Gabriel to Zechariah saying, your prayers have been heard, Elizabeth is going to have a child. Is that possible? Well, they're married. They're being intimate with each other. They're past the normal stage of life for having kids. But that's not necessarily as huge a stretch, right? Now, Mary's looking at this and going, hey, wait, now, by the way, she doesn't know about Zechariah and Mary yet. Well, time, time out. How's that going to happen? I know, how, I know how babies get made. That hasn't been happening here. I'm a, good, I'm a good girl. So how can this be? How's that going to work? And Gabriel gives one of the best, non-detailed, non-descriptive answers to a question ever. Right? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So, do we know exactly how that happened? No. We don't. That detail isn't given. So what does that tell you about that detail? It's not necessary yeah it's not need to know okay yeah I'll, I'll tell you but then I'll have to kill you right you don't have to know this and by the way nor do you have to know that in order to be able to be convinced okay there's enough other information on the table so you don't need to understand all the ins and outs of that it's going to happen Verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Listen, Mary, your barren relative is six months pregnant. That's out of the ordinary. 
What did Mary not ask for? She didn't ask for a sign. How many people asked Jesus for signs? That was often, right? In fact, if you were Jewish, you asked for signs. That's what Jesus said later, right? Paul even talks about that. Greeks, okay, they want to understand the wisdom. They want to understand, you know, all this, that, and the other. Jews, oh, they want a sign. Jesus, I don't remember what miracle he had just worked. I think one of the feedings of the 5,000 or whatever. And the Jews come up, well, what sign are you going to offer? Uh, you know, and, and it's amazing. Jesus never used that term, that, that expression. You know, every once in a while, I would just think that there would be a holy, duh. Yeah. You know, you just, you, you did just see this, right? You were here. You ate this. You know, seven loaves and two fish and we feed 5,000 men and who knows how many women and kids off of that. You were there for that. And yet, no, we want something else. What's Mary's response to this? Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. This term bond slave is the feminine form of doulos. What's a doulos? Slave. And it really ought to be translated slave because that's what it was. So how does she identify herself? Hi, I'm the slave girl of God. Do I understand what you just told me as far as how that's all going to work? No? But you told me that this is the way it's going to be and I believe you and I'm going to take you at your word. When Mary and Joseph learned that Elizabeth was pregnant, it gives them solid assurance that this stuff is really happening. Well, yeah. Mary got a sign. You know, nothing's impossible with God. In fact, later on, People aren't going to talk about Elizabeth. If you want to talk about out of the ordinary, right? There have been other Elizabeths. There have been other Elizabeths in the Bible. How about Sarah? How about Rebecca? How about Rachel? How about um, Hannah? I mean, God's done this before and He's done it. You know, it's not necessarily common. But you can rack off several names there. Not like Mary. That is, that's a once in all eternity, right? That happens one time. And yet Mary says, okay, now we need to stop here and kind of park for a second. Is this a good thing for Mary? Let me, put, let me rephrase the question. Is this an easy thing for Mary? No, it's not. Why not, Marianne? Yeah. So, if she's pregnant and Joseph didn't do it, then what is she going to be considered? An adulteress. 
Because remember, she's betrothed. What was the penalty for adultery? Not that it was used, all right? But the penalty was stoning. John chapter 8, right? The woman caught in adultery. The penalty was stoning. Now, Luke doesn't talk about Joseph. What was Joseph's reaction to this news when he finally finds out about it? He's a righteous man. He cared for her. He did not want to make a public display of her. But he was going to divorce her. Because for anybody else in history, what would she be? She's pregnant, not by him. She's an adulteress for anyone else. Whether she's engaged to him or not, she will still be an unwed mom. And she will still be talked about as a not-so-good girl. Oh, yeah. And by the way, does that happen for her? Probably, because people played that card on Jesus, didn't they? Hey, we weren't born of fornication. The assumption being, he was. That's, that's, that's the allegation that's being made. That's the, that's the slur that's being made. Yeah, yeah. And so again, this for Mary is not going to be easy. For the rest of her life. I mean, can you imagine? Well, let's keep going because and we'll come back to it because it'll make hey Jeff, we can do it. The term bond slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we interpret that? We know that that's her attitude. But the term bond slave indicates a willing slave. She could be using it as the idea of the slave for life. Right. She could be. Um, I mean, it's not like, you know, it kind of conveys a little bit. That's why I'm asking, can we, can we deduce from that that it's something that she's, she's embracing, that it's not something that, well, this is not against... This is against her will, but she's embracing it. Okay, for the tape, Rick's question is, can we, can we deduce from the way that she's saying, that from her verbiage, that she's indicating that this is not against her will, but it is voluntary, it's cooperative? I don't know that I would get that from her use of, of, of doulos, okay. but you, you, sh- you sure get it from everything else, right? You get it from everything else. And so again... For us, how much stigma is there to being an unwed mom? Oh, in our day? It's not what it used to be. It's certainly not what it was when, okay, now again, for the purpose of the tape, uh, most of the people in here are, are approaching that, that phase of life called seasoned citizens. We've got one young fella in here. But everybody else in here, most of us have got gray hair. 
And when we look back when we were kids, how were unwed moms looked at? There was absolutely a stigma that went along with that, right? We cannot even begin to fathom how much of a stigma there was for Mary. In, in our high school, um, girls would just disappear for a certain length of time. And yeah. We sent off somewhere to give up their baby for adoption you know, for someone else in the family to take it. Or just drop out of school for a half. You know, um, when I was 20 years old, I found out that I had another uncle. And um, because I don't know where all the tape will go, I won't talk about some details. But it was that kind of thing where, in fact, there, um, we're pretty sure there's another one that's just never been identified. My dad had another sibling somewhere that was given up at birth. And so, again, this was a huge thing for her. And so, now, when you, when you start to consider that, it makes it that much more amazing, doesn't it? That, that she goes along, that, that her, her attitude here is, God, if that is what you have for me, then I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to bear that, that stigma, that reproach. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So again, does, does, does Gabriel, on behalf of God, does he punish her? Is there anything that she's got? You know, Elizabeth's husband, he's over here and he can't speak and he apparently can't hear either. And that's going to go on for nine months because he didn't believe what Gabriel told him. Mary? No, she's not like that. She believes. She may not understand, but she believes. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So, Mary is not waiting around. She's booking it to get over to Elizabeth's house. Why? To rejoice together. Okay, there's got to be that, that, that component of rejoicing, right? Again, Elizabeth, she was barren. And in that culture, that was an incredible reproach. And that's being lifted. Elizabeth is probably the only person Mary knows that she can talk to. Elizabeth is probably, who is much more probably wise to Scripture. Just as a guess, I'm guessing she's wiser to Scripture than Joseph is. She is probably the first person to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. Well, okay, we're going to get to that. Because again, we haven't, we, we, we haven't seen enough with Joseph yet. And again, Joseph... Joseph's going to have to have a visit from the angel. All right? Do you blame him for that? 
Many of us have kids. Can you imagine one of your teenage daughters coming to you and saying those words, Daddy, I'm pregnant, and God did it. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, we have to laugh because there's kind of some parallel here. Not a hundred percent, but my reaction now, after years of experience and wisdom, is that well, you're going to finish school anyway because we want you to support us in your old age. <laughs> well. Um, I get that sentiment because we're approaching that phase of life. Um, but again, one person in all of human history would be able to make that comment and have it be true. And so she goes up, she greets Elizabeth. When, Mary, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what was something that was unique about Elizabeth's unborn child? There's something that is unique, and I think this is also something that's going to be unique in the history of the world. John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit while he's in his mom's womb. Now, you don't read that about anybody else in all of history. It's him alone. Suppose he was speaking in tongues in there? <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't speak <laughs> when you're in the womb because you, you have to have air in order to be able to speak. <laughs> He's kicking in Morse code. <laughs> he hears Mary's voice and Elizabeth knows now, that's the one thing, too, about six months, right? What's happening when you're six months along? Now, obviously, since I'm not a woman, I don't understand what it feels like to have that going on inside of me. I can remember when Carolyn was pregnant and, you know, putting... putting my hand on her tummy and feeling an elbow or a heel or something pointy moving. And, you know, she's talking about that. And I can remember when, uh, what, what's that called? Quickening? When all of a sudden, when you feel it the first time. And I remember when it was the first time, first time, first time with Christopher. It's like, oh, oh can you feel that? Can you feel that? Well, Elizabeth felt this one. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does Elizabeth do? She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? So, who is she identifying Mary's child as Messiah. 
They haven't even started talking yet. So Elizabeth knows who Mary's carrying. You're blessed among women. Isn't she? How many hundreds of thousands of Jewish women had hoped that they would be the one? And here it's Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary, you chose to believe what you were told. So Elizabeth, is she talking about herself? No, she's not talking about herself. We'll come back for that one. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has had regard for the humble state of His bondslave, His doulos. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who hear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his, his, his descendants forever. Now, I don't know about in your Bible, in mine, some of what she is saying is capitalized. Virtually every phrase that she uses is a quotation from the Old Testament. Now, there is another passage that is very similar to this one. Where's that? 1 Samuel 2. So if you go back, and we don't have enough time to do it, if you go back to 1 Samuel 2, to the, the prayer of Hannah, right after she is pregnant and she and she has Samuel because she had been barren you'll see that there are many parallels between what Hannah prays and what Mary says here but frankly it's much more than that i gave you a list in your notes that is not an exhaustive list Many, there are many references here to Psalms, to Genesis, to, uh, I mean, it's all, to Isaiah, it's all over the Old Testament. So, one of two things is happening here. And and we're not going to be able to differentiate between them, frankly, okay? Because we don't have enough information. Either A, She's simply filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is giving her these words. Because again, remember that Mary is a teenager 
and she hasn't got a bound Bible like we have. How many Bibles have you got at home? She doesn't have that. The only place that she would be able to see written Scripture is in the synagogue. Actually, for her, it's in the temple. Okay, the question is, could, it, could she have memorized it? Maybe, but probably not. Because she wouldn't have access to it in order to be able to have it long enough to memorize it. People did not have personal copies of Scripture. Boys Right, because again, again, this again is something that we don't get. How were women viewed in Jewish culture, even? What was the prayer of a Pharisee? God, yeah, God, thank you that I, I'm, I'm not a Gentile and I'm not a woman. Which again, sounds harsh. It is harsh. Okay? But again, that would, that's the culture. So, Andrew? So, is what you're saying that it's almost like a case of inspiration? Um, the Holy Spirit's inspiring her to speak these words? She may not, it, it could be inspiration, but it could also be something else. Something that anybody who has gone to a prayer retreat here would be familiar with. In fact, I've listened to a number of you pray. I have never in my life when we're praying together, I have never heard anybody quote an address. I hear the verbiage. And when I hear the verbiage, I know exactly what you're talking about because I know the passage you're talking about just like you do, right? Because again, and again, what Mary's doing here, she is taking the things that she has learned probably and she is simply voicing those. And so it's no different than um, when, when you're praying and you go, you know, Lord, we, we know that you're sovereign, that you work all things after the counsel of your own will. Okay, what did I just quote? Yeah, Ephesians 1. Without, without quoting it directly, but you knew where it was coming from. Right? And so again, but again, what I want you to think about is, is that when you, when you're under the when you are under the control of the spirit you are thinking about the things of god you are speaking about the mighty acts of god you are talking about things that are bringing honor and glory to him that is the characteristic of being filled with the spirit and in fact when you go later in luke's writings when you go to acts chapter 1 we've been gone for a couple of weeks i haven't had a chance to listen to dave's messages well he hasn't gotten there anyway he hasn't gotten to chapter 2. When you get to the day of Pentecost, and the people hear these uneducated, ignorant hillbillies speaking in, in their mother tongue, what were they saying? We hear them speaking of the mighty acts of God. So it's not gibberish. It's not something that's unknown. It is something that is bringing praise to God. 
So, so again, the idea of being controlled by the Spirit is means that you are acting in accordance with how God would act. You're speaking how God would speak, and 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 you're communicating those kinds of things. That's the point there. So when you see Luke writing about this person's filled with the Holy Spirit, the next thing we should be anticipating is they're fixing to do something that is going to bring honor to God, that is going to declare His praise, that is going to declare His glory. So, and Mary stayed with her for about three months and then returned to her home. So when does Mary go home? Probably after John the Baptist's birth. So, here comes John the Baptist. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. You know, for something that was so amazing, that is probably one of the most nondescript statements ever, right? Yep. So in other words, what God had said was going to happen, just did. And it happened as He said it would. So she has a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing with her. You can imagine that, right? She's carried that baby to term. Can you imagine? For somebody who had been a reproach or felt reproach, and here she is in her old age holding this little boy. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. Why on the eighth day? That was the law. And what had been their reputation prior to all of this happening? They were righteous. They were blameless. They took God at His Word and they obeyed Him. So, they're continuing to obey Him. They take Him on the eighth day. And they're going to call Him Zacharias after His father. But His mother answered and said, No indeed, but He shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. What are you doing? We have tradition. And you're not following tradition. Yeah, I I tell you what, I'm about to bust into Tevye. Which is not going to be pretty. (laughs) And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. They thought that was astonishing. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So again, this is so out of the ordinary that people are, it's getting their attention. Now wait a minute. So dad gets his once in a life, and by the way, and by chance, Zechariah got to go in to burn incense. By chance, right? What does the Old Testament say about the lot? It is 
the lot is chosen by the Lord, by God. So Zechariah, all of a sudden now, is in the, in the spotlight because he has the vision while he's inside the holy, the, not the holy of holies, but that area right outside the veil. And so now all of a sudden, he comes out, he's in there for a long time, and people are wondering why, and he comes out, and he can't talk, and, and, and he can't communicate, so something has happened. He saw a vision while he was inside. And now all of a sudden, Elizabeth's pregnant. And you've got to wonder, what was Samuel like? Was Samuel a run-of-the-mill kid? No, he was not. One of the greatest prophets. One of the greatest priests. Wasn't even from Levi. So they're looking at John the Baptist and they're going, what is this kid going to be? Because all of these things that are so out of the ordinary are associated with this kid. And then Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. So get your seatbelt on because let's see where it's going to go with him. And he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. Accomplished redemption. What, what tense is that? Past tense. Has it happened yet? No, but how certain is it? This is one of those. You know, we run into this in the New Testament, right? We've been justified, we've been sanctified, we've been glorified. Romans uses all of those in the past tense. Have we been justified? Yes. Have we been sanctified? Oh, yeah, that's, that's actually happening right now, right? That's an ongoing process right now. Have we been glorified? Not yet, and yet it is so certain. But God can speak of it in the past. Because it's guaranteed. Who's going to accomplish it? God will. If it was up to me, there's no way you could talk about that in the past tense. Right? But God can because it's that certain. He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant. Is he talking about John? How do you know he's not talking about John? His son. His infant son. His newborn. How do you know he's not talking about him? He's not a descendant of David. Mary's son is... as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear. What's that remind you of? Let my people Go so that they may serve me. 
in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. That's kingdom language. That's all Messiah language. And so here, God is giving him something to where he can speak that the one who's coming, he's just about here. And then he shifts. Verse 76. And you, child... Now he's talking to John, his son, his boy. You will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Who does Zechariah realize his son is? The forerunner, right? What's playing in some, what's playing in some of your minds right now? The voice of him who crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the... I'm sorry, I'm not a tenor. I can't actually pull that one off. But again, it's the idea that, son, you get to be that guy. You're the forerunner. You're the voice. And you're going to proclaim the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. And in fact, it's not going to be easy for John the Baptist either because where does he head? And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Where was he born? He was born in the hill country. Where's he going to grow up? He's going to grow up in the desert. So that when he shows up for his ministry, who is he? Well, he's the guy who wears burlap. And he eats locusts and wild honey. And he's a no-nonsense preacher. Because that's his mission. He's going to proclaim repentance. And he's going to get the people ready. He's the one who's going to be able to say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is there anything normal about any of this? No. There isn't. At this moment. Questions? Andy. He got his hand up first, Gunner. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, so I was listening to something, it was a discussion about Catholicism, and they talk about Mary as the 
of heresy, Marcionism. They were trying to, Marcionism believes that, or believed, there was, there was differences. They wanted to dispel um, the nature of God, the confusion on the nature of God. Anyway, I was like, well, when we refer to Mary, we just call her the mother of Christ or the mother of Jesus. It seems normal to me. Is that right? Or should we be referring to her as the mother of God, or is that just a Catholic thing? Well, I would be accurate in saying that she was the mother of Jesus. That's, that's how I would, would handle that. As a man. Catholicism, right. She's the mother of the incarnate Christ. That's who she is. Now, Catholicism, this whole thing with the veneration of Mary has evolved over time. You realize that, right? That didn't come out centuries and centuries ago. Uh, I think in 1854 was when they finally came out and, and said that, uh, that she was without sin. That's relatively recent. And so, and even, I think, in 1950, there was another one. Dave, do you all hear that message that Dave preached a while back about Catholicism and Mary? Um, now, you don't want to fall into the opposite end of that, where... Um, no, we don't venerate Mary. No, I'm sorry. Salvation doesn't come through Mary. Grace doesn't come through Mary. Mary's not the, the distributor of all of those things. That's not her, all right? That's heresy. Yet, at the same time, nor do we want to fall off the other end of that spectrum to where she's not important, she's not noteworthy. There are things about her that are... <laughs> For 13 years old, for being a teenager, in all likelihood, that's pretty spiritually mature. To know that you're fixing to face a lifetime of ostracism, of ridicule, and to say, sign me up. I'm willing to go there. She reminds me a lot of Daniel. Yeah. Very similar situation. Very faithful. I mean, kudos to her parents, too, I think, for giving her the word. Yeah, I, as a parent, boy, I'd sure like to have Luke write about what happened in their house mm-hmm. when all of a sudden this starts coming on. How do you handle those kinds of conversations? I don't know about you, we've had to have some of these kind of conversations in our home. And so, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you how do you how do you how do you navigate some of those waters? But again, Luke doesn't give us that. In fact, none of the gospel writers do. So, what then do I need? What then must I come up with? What what, what do I conclude with that? You don't need to know. I don't need to know that, because when it comes how to handle those types of situations. What do I know to be true? They're not all the same. Well, not just that they're not all the same. I've got the information. I have the truth that I need already. It's in other places. God's given it to me. Because what's the underlying truth to all of that that I know to be true? God's will will be done. Well, God's will would be done. I'm thinking of 2 Peter 1. 
He has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So when it comes to being able to understand, if I can't figure it out, what can I do? James 1, I can ask God for wisdom who gives liberally and without reproach. Right? When I ask for wisdom, God does not berate me. He gives me what I need. So if I don't have it here, it just means that God is someplace else. So if I need it, it's someplace else. So I don't have to have that in order to be able to believe. I don't have to have that in order to be able to know with certainty. Gunner. Well, you're sure going to point to him that way. So, again, and Alan, I appreciate that you laid that groundwork at the very beginning. Because again, this is, is, as we keep these things in mind as we're going through here, as to what's being included, then we can that'll help us to understand the why. And again, what's what's the intention? What's the intended purpose here for you and for me? That we would know with certainty and that it would give us more and more knowledge of who God is so that when we are faced with difficulty, then we know that we can trust Him. The things that He has said are going to come about in the manner in which He said they would. We can trust Him just like Mary did. All right, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that You are in fact sovereign. I think of the flooding up at the Bible camp this week. You're in control of that too. And there are some among us who are are sick badly. And yet they're able to trust you. They may not know the actual outcome of the disease that they have at this moment. Yet they know that your word is true. That your grace is sufficient. That they have what they need in order to be able to honor you in the midst of their adversity. We know that all these things are true because you say so. And thank you for these examples that you have given us in your word that what you said would happen happened as you said because you are in fact sovereign. You're the only sovereign. And so Father, help us this morning as as we come together in the main service now that we would worship you rightly and ascribe to you the glory and the honor and the praise that you alone warrant, that you alone deserve. In Christ's name, amen.